All right, Matthew chapter six, starting in verse nine, Jesus is speaking here. We're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and he says this, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jump down to chapter 7, verse 7. We pick up with Jesus teaching again, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. And we say together, our hearts and minds are open. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Henry Nowen wrote a great little book called With Open Hands. And the book opens up with this short story about a woman being admitted into a psychiatric ward. The woman is flailing about. She's swinging her arms at everything and everyone in sight, so much so that everyone was freaked out by this woman and the doctors decided to take everything that she had away from her, except there's this one small coin that the woman held ever so tightly in her clenched fist. And it ended up taking two people to get this woman calm and to pry open her hand to remove this coin from her. Now for the woman, it was as if she would lose herself along with the coin if it had been taken from her. At least this was her fear. Now what does this have to do with prayer? Well now it explains that the resistance to prayer is like the resistance of tightly clenched fists. So I ask you, what is it about prayer that causes us to resist it so much? I tend to wonder if it is not because prayer is the place where we are most confronted with our humanity. I wonder if, especially in the culture that we live within today, here in the West, particularly here in America, where we have a screen in our pocket and in our cars now and on every single wall in the house and in our laps and in our bags and plenty of other things that are distracting us all the time, making us feel as though we are not human, prayer is maybe one of the very few places left where we have to confront the reality that we are, in fact, human beings. Prayer is meant to properly form us into the image of Jesus Christ. 
But in order for that to happen, we must first come to, to terms with who we are. We must first come to terms with our own limitations, with our hurts and our pains, with everything that makes us us, with everything that makes us human. And let us remember, right here at the beginning of the teaching, that we have been walking through what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew's Gospel. And as he has it laid out, Jesus is teaching on prayer right in the heart of this entire uh, set of sermons, set of teachings. Prayer seems to be pretty important. The Sermon on the Mount, I'll remind you, is Jesus' manifesto, if you will, on how to be truly human, on how to be a human being living in and from the kingdom of God that is available to us right now. And right in the middle, we have this teaching on prayer. If it's important to Jesus, why do we resist it so, excuse me, so much? Well, I think it's because we don't want to be human. Not really. Most of us, including myself, want to be something other than human at times. Since the beginning of our Bibles, if you just go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, like two pages in, you will see the story of our humanity playing out that we do desire to be something other than human. In fact, we find there that we want to be divine ourselves. We want to be God. We want to be the ones deciding good and evil, running our own lives, having all of the control and running, creating and running our own kingdoms, even if it means running them straight into the ground. And what prayer does is it causes us to confront this very thing, the reality of our humanness and our utter need of the God who created us. To bring it forward just a little bit more, here in America, you're not supposed to need anyone, right? Isn't that what we've been taught? That it's up to you to go after success and get there all on your own. No matter what it costs you personally, no matter who you step on, it's up to you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We don't need anyone. And yet, what we find in prayer, and maybe this is our resistance, and why we resist it so much is because we find that we are in dire need of the God who created us. So in prayer, we might find ourselves kicking and screaming or flailing about like the woman being admitted to the psychiatric ward, wrestling with God and doing our very best to cling to whatever sense of control that we think we might have until at last, and it will happen, we give up. And we open our hands and we let go. And in doing so, we open ourselves up to maybe receive or to surrender in the very presence of God, in the presence of the God who loves us and created us and desires intimate relationship with us, who desires our very wholeness. And we give in to our humanity. And I think what happens when we finally do this, when we let go and we give in to our humanness, is that we will find that what God has said about us from the very beginning is true. That we are very good. Very good. You see, to pray is to be human. Praying in itself 
is one of the most human things we could ever do. So what does Jesus say about it? I ask you to have your Bibles open. Uh, Chapter six, verse nine. Let's read these words again. Jesus says, pray then in this way. And you know, part of the reason, just, just as a caveat here, part of the reason why I want you to be paying attention is because I don't want you to accept my word for it or any of us up here. We can say anything on the microphone. Not that we're trying to. We're not trying to deceive anyone. But when you have your Bibles open, you can see, did Jesus really say that? So, you know, follow along. Let's see if Jesus really said this. Chapter six, verse nine. Jesus says, pray then in this way. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but Jesus is teaching on prayer. And yet, in his teaching, he's not giving a lecture or a how-to lesson on how one is to pray. Instead, he gives his apprentices a prayer to pray. I find that fascinating. I find that to be beautiful. But let's look a little bit more closely at what Jesus is saying about prayer. And I'll just um, be transparent here in the beginning. Because of some pastors who have written some great books, and I've had the privilege of listening to speak and preach on this prayer, it's helped me to see specifically the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, totally differently. But it's also helped me in my own time praying the Lord's Prayer most days of my life. I've started to notice that Jesus isn't simply teaching us how to pray or what it is, but he's teaching us about who God is. So as we get started, let's keep that in mind. Jesus begins with the word, our He says, our father, that is not my father, but our father. Jesus is teaching us to pray, not as individuals, but rather as a community. Saying our, though, it should be said, we're not saying our in order to claim God, to make some kind of claim of God as some type of possession or property or object as our own, but instead we are able to say our due to the fact that this God has actually reached out and claimed us as his own. Think about the Exodus story. It's a story about how God is wanting to be our God and he wants us to be his people. And for this reason, and because of what God has done in the person of Jesus, we then can proclaim with our brothers and sisters around us, our father. This is communal language, which also teaches us that our relationship with God is in fact personal, but it is not private. Our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's never private. And each of us, we find in this prayer, all of us are in this thing together. So our Father, Jesus says. Jesus calls God Father, which of course didn't make the religious leaders of his day all that happy. Uh, In fact, this got Jesus in hot water with them. They saw this as Jesus putting himself on the same level as God, making himself equal with God which they would call blasphemy and end up wanting to do some pretty horrific things to Jesus because of it. But this was the common way that Jesus would address God as father. And I'm already in my mind seeing all these rabbit holes that I could go down here, but I'm I'm not going to, so hang with me. 
Jesus is teaching about prayer, but more specifically about who God the Father is. So there are four things. I've made it easy for us today. Four things that I think Jesus is teaching us in this prayer that I actually believe have the ability that if we were to understand them and take them to heart, that these four things might unlock a different world for us in prayer. Open up a whole new type of relationship that we could have with God through the practice of prayer. But before we get to them, I just want to say that what you think about when you think of prayer will have a dramatic effect on whether or not you pray and how you do it. And in the same way, what you think about when you think about God, how you picture God, the image that comes to mind, or the thoughts that might pop into your head when you're thinking about God will also affect how you pray, if you pray at all. For example, if you view God as kind of a Santa Claus in the sky who you write your prayer list to expecting to get all of them answered, well, that will have an effect on who you are and your formation and your praying life. Or if you view God as an angry father or an angry dictator or maybe even a judge up in the sky far off somewhere distant from you, well, that too will affect whether or not you pray and how you do it. So what are these four things that I'm talking about? Jesus seems to want us to know right here from the very beginning, when we see it in the very first line, that God is our Father. God is our Father. Jesus refers to God as Father, and he wants his apprentices to refer to God as Father as well, even if it means upsetting some of the religious elite. Because what Jesus wants us to know is that the creator of all things, the king of the universe, who in Jewish tradition you would not even utter his name, much less ever write it down in full because of the fear and the reverence that you have before this God. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You can have an intimate relationship with this God. As intimate as a child relates to their father. But it should be said, and I just want to be clear here at the beginning, is that for some of us, we can't skip over the reality that it's hard to separate God as Father from our own biological fathers. That for some of us, our fathers weren't all that great. Our fathers might have been present physically, but weren't present emotionally or weren't mentally there. They were absent in presence, and, and maybe they were physically absent. Maybe they left us. Maybe they abandoned us and our family. Maybe they're just deadbeats, or they were physically or verbally abusive to us. And for us, when someone says, view God as father, or address God as father, the first thing that pops into our head is our biological dad. And that's difficult. And so I just wanna say, and this is where it gets a little dicey for some of us, I know that, but I'm saying this with a pastoral heart, okay, in the most loving way I know how, that the intent of Jesus is not that you view God as a male father figure, but that you view God as a loving parent who you can and he desires nothing more than you having an intimate relationship with him. So if it's difficult for you to address God as father, you can bring that to God and own that, say that. You can view God as a loving parent. That's the intent. Okay, so God is your father. Number two, God is more present than you could possibly imagine. 
The prayer continues, our Father in heaven. Jesus is locating God. In heaven is the Greek term uranos. Can you say uranos? Well done, seven of you know Greek, that's really good. Oronos, oronos means in the heavens, plural. We have it singular in our text, but it's plural in the Greek. In the heavens, but it also can translate to in the skies or in the air. That is, God is as, is as close to you as the air bumping up against your skin. As the air that you breathe deep into your lungs, he's that kind of close, never far off, more near, always near in fact, more near than you might think or believe or maybe even want. God is more present than you can imagine. Our Father in heaven, he continues, hallowed be your name. The third thing we need to know is that prayer is enjoying God's presence. Hallowed is not a word that we throw around all that often. Have you ever said, oh, how hallowed you are? No, me neither. Hallowed means, which is a weird compliment for us today, but it's a great compliment if you were to use it. It means to be made holy, to be consecrated, to be set apart as unique or other. Who does this sound like? God. With God, there is no parallel. God is totally hallowed, if you will, set apart as holy and unique and special. I think our reformed brothers and sisters got it right when they said, that the aim of human uh, life really is to enjoy God, or rather to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's what we're doing in prayer. We are coming into an awareness that God is not far off, but is more present than we could imagine. He loves us as a father or a mother loves their child. We are made for intimate and personal relationship with this God. And all we have to do in prayer is to enjoy God's presence who is present to us. And we can enjoy God forever. Number four, your prayer can change the world. And it can radically change you. Jesus continues, your kingdom come. Whose kingdom? God's, not mine, but God's kingdom. One of the main ways that the kingdom of God will be ushered into this earth as it is in heaven is through your praying life. Happen with Jesus, he says it will happen through you too. One of the main ways that we make the kingdom of God more visible here in this place, in the city of Birmingham, as it is in heaven is through your prayers. And it's not because it's you or it's your prayer that does it. It's not a magic trick. It's because in prayer, you are partnering with God's spirit to change reality in this world, to bring about the goodness of God's kingdom into every corner of human existence. Prayer leads to change. It leads to things happening. But I do want to give a warning. Don't pray this stuff if you don't mean it. Don't pray your kingdom come if you don't want God's kingdom to come over yours, if you don't want to give up control. That would be a very dangerous thing to do. So these four things, that God is your father, 
God is more present than you can imagine. Prayer is enjoying God's presence and your prayers can change the world and yes, they can radically change you. Again, have the possibility to open a whole new world for you in prayer, for me too, because they disrupt and they unearth our normal thoughts about prayer or about a God who we often find to be distant or quiet or far away or maybe we think they're judgmental that lead us more deeply into relationship with God, which draws us nearer to him makes us more aware of who God is and how close God is with us and they allow us to enjoy this God more fully and more intimately. Not only that, but they prepare us for the second part of the prayer. Now notice, we haven't asked for anything yet. All Jesus is doing is teaching us who this God is so that when we come to God, we can view God as a loving father who intends our good, whose pleasure it is to give us his kingdom, who runs out into the field to greet us on our way home, to embrace us and throw the celebratory feast on our behalf, simply as a welcome for us being there. This is a God who loves us and desires intimate relationship with us, who's more present than we can possibly imagine. What this does is it postures us for the next part of the prayer because now, Now we know that we can come to God confidently and ask for what we need. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation or keep us from the evil one. The author Marjorie Thompson once wrote, the human being is created in the divine image and likeness in order to have continual communion with the one who made us. Isn't that beautiful? We are created to love and be loved by God, to serve and be served by Christ, destined to enjoy the vitality of the Holy Spirit and in turn receive God's delight in us forever. And for those of us walking around with tightly clenched fists, clinging to any lasting sense of control that we think we might have in our lives, the picture that Marjorie Thompson gives us is beautiful, but it also shows us that we might need to change. And the good news is, is as we talked about in that number four, prayer can radically change you. It's one reason why it's an essential spiritual discipline. I think it's one reason why Jesus has it at the heart of his teachings here, because it is an activity of the heart, which in Jewish tradition, and obviously Jesus' tradition, the heart is seen as the control center of our lives. And prayer is meant to allow our loving Father to reach out and touch and melt and reshape and transform us so that we might become more like him, bearing the image of Jesus in our world, becoming more able to discern the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect and better love God and others. So I think, as I said, if you have your Bibles out, go ahead and look at chapter seven, verse seven. This is how Jesus gets here. If all this is true about God, if all this is true about prayer, then we can come to God and ask, and what does he say? It will be given you. Search and you will find. Not you might. No, you will. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Because as Jesus says, for if you, even you, even me, if I know how to give good, give good gifts to my son, 
how much more will my Father in heaven give good things, wow, I can't say that, give good things to those who ask him. How very human we are and how very human prayer is. We are loved and created by and known by the God who created all things, who is our loving Father, who intends our good and desires our company. Imagine that, even mine. Who is closer than we could possibly ever imagine or want or believe. So may we open our hands Instead of tightly clenching our fists, may we open our hands and surrender to such a God. May we open our hands to maybe even receive what it is that Jesus promises us from the very beginning, abundant life found in the kingdom of God forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to invite the band to come forward. And as they do, I want to invite you to close your eyes. to take a deep breath and to relax for a moment. I don't know if you get a chance to do that often. Maybe you're a a mom or a dad. Maybe you have a lot of stress at work. Maybe you travel for a living. Or maybe you too can't seem to turn off Netflix because there's always just one more episode and your life feels crowded and noisy and overwhelming, would you take a moment here to be still and to rest in the very presence of God, the God we've been talking about this whole time? And maybe as you do, you can open up your hands. If it's physically doing that in your lap as Maggie led us earlier in prayer, you can do that. You are safe here. You can open up your hands and surrender if that's what you need to do, whatever it is that you're clinging to. You can open up your hands and receive because it's really difficult. First, you must let go. Let go of whatever it is that you're holding, whatever is overwhelming, whatever is keeping you distracted or anxious, whatever is heavy, lay it down. It's really difficult to receive when your hands are full of things already. So let go and would you receive what it is that Jesus has for you? And maybe even ask, Jesus, would you come and minister to me for a moment? Would you listen for a minute? Would you speak truth over me for a moment? Would you hug me, (laughs) embrace me? I need you. I don't know where you are. I do know that you're safe here to be exactly who you are and where you are. So just breathe and let go. It's okay to be human. So God, we give you praise because we do believe you are who you say you are. Our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. You are a God more powerful than death who loves us more than we could possibly imagine, who created us in your very image, 
Give us what we need in this moment and help us to respond in turn.